We are in the Gospel of John. We're going to be in John 8 and 9. Um, haven't we all had this experience? Have you ever walked in a room looking for something and then forgot what you were looking for? Now this happens to me, but this is what happens to me more often. I walk in a room looking for something and it is right in front of me, but I cannot see it. Does this happen to anybody else too? Happens in the fridge with me all the time. Jordan, would you go get the ketchup? Yeah, I'll go get the ketchup. I don't know where the ketchup is. What do you mean? It's the giant bottle right in front of your eyes. Everybody's had this experience, right? Yeah. Um, looking is not the same thing as seeing, right? Those are sort of different. I learned this lesson with my youngest son, Colvin. So Colvin had this... Uh, can you bump nine and ten just a little bit? Um, my son Colvin is the son, my, he is the child that we always lost in the store. Okay? We'd be walking through the store and suddenly we'd be like, where's Colvin? Where is Colvin? There'd be like this moment of panic. But the interesting thing about that is Colvin is this child that walked away from us the least. He is not the wanderer. But he stood his whole life, even to this day, right behind us. You know what I'm saying? So many a times we'd be at the store and say, where's Colvin? Where's Colvin? And we'd get this little voice, I'm right here. Oh, there you are. And we were kind of like, oh, okay, there he is. Um, he was right there in our blind spot. Sometimes we have blind spots because we don't know things. I remember my older son, Jaden, was uh, actually uh, in Sunday school while I was in seminary. I had to go pick him up from Sunday school. And the Sunday school teachers were very, very alarmed. I could tell something was wrong when I got to there. And they, they were just looked at me with shame and they said, Your son, we asked him the alphabet, and he said just this, total gibberish. We can't understand anything he's saying. And they're really concerned to like, have to tell me that there's something wrong with my son. And I said, he knows his alphabet. Jaden, what's your alphabet? And he said, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, Epsilon. <laughs> And I said to the teacher, oh, that's, that's the Greek alphabet. He learned the Greek alphabet. And I watched as in their eyes they went from concerned that my son was going to live his life riding the short bus to he was going to be a guy that like, like now in, in their eyes, I watched in their faces, man, concerned to your son's going to Harvard. You know what I mean? In one piece of information, what was the problem? The problem was they didn't know what they didn't know. This is always the trick, isn't it? We don't know the things that we don't know. And that's the issue that's going on here in this part of the Gospel of John. These, the religious leaders, what John titles the Jews, but he doesn't mean all Jews. He means the Pharisees, the priests, the leaders. They are seeing Jesus, but they aren't seeing him for real. Like they aren't seeing who he actually is. They're struggling to understand who he is. They've got a certain set of glasses, a worldview, an expectation of who Jesus is, who the Messiah should be, and Jesus isn't fitting into that. In fact, Jesus is very intentionally not fitting into what they want. And he purposefully is doing all this stuff on the Sabbath just to mess with them. Like he's agitating them in the text. Like they think you should treat the Sabbath a certain way, but it's not in the Bible, all the things that they had all these rules for. And so he's doing these miracles on the Sabbath, but they can't even see the miracles. See, they're not seeing well, and they don't know what they don't know, and they're blind to it. So, in, in fact, they're so mad, the tensions are building in the Gospel of John, they're thinking about killing Jesus. They're making some plans. And so in response, Jesus makes another one of his I am sayings in the Gospel of John. 
So we're in John 18. I'm only reading little pieces of this because I'm trying to string together a couple passages for you. So you'll have to read this for yourself later. John 8, starting in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In the law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who has sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So there's a lot going on here. Jesus says he's the light of the world. This harkens right back to John 1. In John chapter 1, uh, Jesus is called the light. The light enters the darkness. The darkness has not overcome. So this is a theme in John. This idea of Jesus being the light. It's set up in John 1 and now comes back around. And so he's enlightening. He's showing it. But, but what did John say in John 1? The darkness doesn't understand. It's not, the, the darkness is, uh, is struggling with it. It's not accepting the light. And there's the Pharisees. They can't see that Jesus is the light. And part of the problem is Jesus is testifying about himself. What, what you had to do when you were a rabbi, you had to have, a, when you were a, a disciple and you wanted to become an official rabbi, you had to have two people testify about you and verify that you could be a good rabbi. One was normally your rabbi, and then there was normally a second rabbi that would verify that you're a good rabbi. So here comes Jesus. He's teaching, but there's no rabbis verifying him. Actually, most of the rabbis hate him. So they say, well, you don't have two witnesses. And he says, well, I'm my own witness. Okay, that right there would be pretty angering for them. I'm my own witness. But again, who's going to actually testify about who Jesus is and where he comes from? He's the only one that can be a witness. And then he goes so far as to say, hey, the Father, uh, God the Father, he's my other witness. And if you, were, if you don't know the Father, it's because you don't know me. This is crazy talk. Jesus is purposefully like poking them at this point. He's agitating them to say, hey, all these things that you want me to be, I'm not. I'm way more than that, and you can't handle it. This is crazy talk. They want to arrest him, but they can't. His time has not yet come. And if you read the rest of John 8, you see this all keeps going. He calls himself the Son of Man. That's a term for the Messiah. Then he calls the Pharisees sons of their father, the devil. Okay, when you call the Pharisees the sons of the devil, that probably doesn't go over real well. Okay, he says that before Abraham was, I am, I am, hearkening back to the I am of the burning bush, the word Yahweh, Jesus, or uh, the, the name for God. He claims to be from the beginning. He claims to be eternal. He's getting them more and more, he's agitating them. He's getting them more and more angry. They actually seek to grab Jesus in John 8, but he escapes. Then in John 9, Jesus heals a blind man. And it's important to understand that when he heals this blind man, it's in, this, in John especially, he's linking together the healing of the blind man with this idea that Jesus is the light of the world. And so let me read the healing of the blind man. 
As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me uh, while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit in the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said it is he. Others say, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, And how were your eyes open? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said, Where, where is he? And he said, I do not know. So Jesus goes to the temple and he sees this man who has been blind since birth. This, this is an important detail. This is a man who has never, ever seen in his life. What that means is it's not like a cataract. It's not like some kind of illness of the eyes. It means the neural pathways between his brain and his eyeball did not develop. And so he cannot see at all. He's never seen. Never in his life has he seen anybody. Anything. So the disciples have a worldview that say, Okay, if something's wrong with somebody, it must be punishment. That's their view. That's their sight. So who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus said, nope, that's not how this works. He's actually blind so that God's glory may be shown in him. It's not a punishment. So Jesus spits in the dust and makes mud and anoints the eyes. Now, I've taught this before, and we skip over this part really quickly. But let's remember that this is Jerusalem. This is the desert. How much spit would you need to make enough mud to cover two uh, guys' two eyes? Okay, this is not like a little patoo and we make mud. This is a lot of spit. Okay, And the blind guy has no idea what's going on, he, but he's probably been spit on before because he was seen as a punishment. He understood. He understood what was going on, except this guy's really bad at spitting because he's missing me. Yeah, he's spitting in the ground. It makes this mud in the desert, and he covers his eyes, which is gross. And then he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Okay, this is a, a really interesting miracle. We've seen Jesus walk on water. We've seen him multiply bread. We've seen him heal from a distance. And now he heals in part. Like he heals with the spit, the making of the mud. And then the man has to go wash his eyes. Pool of Siloam is a pool in the south of the temple of the city of David. So he goes there. So here's the problem though. By making mud, Jesus is working on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to make mud. And then by telling the man to go wash, he's telling the man to go work on the Sabbath because you're not allowed to wash on the Sabbath. You can ceremonially wash to go to the temple, but you can't wash your face, can't wash your eyes, can't go take a bath. That's not allowed because that's considered work. So Jesus here has sinned, according to the Pharisees, and he's made the man sin, according to the Pharisees. Okay? But the man washes, he can suddenly see, and he walks back to the temple. And, and imagine seeing people for the first time. 
seeing the sun and the clouds for the first time. Walking to the temple. He's gone to the temple. He would beg there. But now instead of having to use his hands to follow along to find where he's going, he can actually see. He's walking around. And it's so crazy. People are like looking at this guy when he gets back. And they say, hey, he looks kind of like the guy that used to beg here that's always been blind. He said, I am the dude. Okay, I am the man. And they can't believe it. They're like going back and forth. They're like discussing, okay, is this really the guy? He said, yeah, I am the guy. So eventually, a a debate breaks out. Some say yes, some say no. The Pharisees bring the man before him. And then man tells them the story, if you read along, and they get mad because Jesus made mud. Okay, that's their vision. How can this man be from God, they'll say. They say in the story, how can he be from God if he doesn't respect the Sabbath? This has to be, if you're violating, if you're sinning, you can't be doing good while you sin. They can't see the blindness in the middle of it. But the man says, look, this, this is what happened. They asked the man, formerly blind, what he thinks, and he says the man has to be a prophet. He at least has to be from God, because I can see. And what does he say? Uh, uh, it, well, we'll get there in a minute. The debate rages on, and then the blind man's parents are actually brought in for questioning. Like, hey, is that your son? Yeah. Was he always blind? Yeah. He didn't used to see earlier? No, he's never seen. This is the first time he's ever seen us. And so they ask, hey, well, do you think this man is the Christ? And they're, they're actually scared. Okay, because if, if they start to say that, they could be called blasphemers and be kicked out of the temple. So the Pharisees bring the man back a second time, and here's how the exchange goes. They say, uh, the text says, So for a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. And he answered, Whether he is a sinner, I, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. When we get done with this sermon, we're going to sing a song inspired by this line, right? I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. So the man's like, hey, if you want to call him a sinner, I don't know what to tell you. But earlier today, I couldn't see anything. Now I can see and talk to you. So, so the, what do the Pharisees do? They do. They kick him out. They basically excommunicate him. Get out of this temple. If you're going to follow this guy, if you're going to work on the Sabbath, you're not allowed to be in here. The man's probably there, you know, this is probably the first time he's ever gotten to see the temple, ever gotten to really go into the temple, and now they're kicking him out because of what Jesus did. Now, listen to Jesus, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, I love this. Everybody ready? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Like not, That's a great line to tell somebody that was blind this morning. Hey, you've seen him, right? You've seen the guy. Yeah, because he healed you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into the, this world, that those who did not see me, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees heard him say these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to him, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now you say we see, and your guilt remains. 
So Jesus goes and finds this man. Remember, it's hard for this man to find Jesus because he's never seen Jesus. He was blind when Jesus did this. He couldn't see till he cleaned his eyes. So Jesus goes and finds this man and said, Hey, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man asks who it is, and he says, You've seen him. That's a great line. You've seen him, of course. I healed you. So, oh yeah, you've seen him. And the man starts to worship him. The man had said earlier he's got to be at least a prophet, but now this blind man... There was, see, he was, a, he was a physically blind man and he couldn't see. But he was also a spiritually blind man and he didn't know who Jesus was. Now the man's been healed twice. He's been healed physically, he can see, but now he can see spiritually who Jesus is. And in an ironic twist that Jesus is clearly setting up and John is clearly emphasizing, here we have the Pharisees who have been able to see their whole lives. They've been able to see physically their whole lives They've, uh, they've read the Torah, they've studied, they've been to the temple. They should know, they should be able to see. And yet when Jesus is among them, they're blind to him. They are blind to him. They should be seeing Jesus, but they can't see. And so the Pharisees are in contrast to the blind man here. The blind man can now see, but the Pharisees who could see are proven to not really be able to see. And in fact, it's worse than that. Jesus says, because, it, like, if you were blind, you'd have no guilt, but now you say we see. See, it's even worse. They're claiming to know exactly who Jesus is. Like, they're claiming, hey, we can see, we can spiritually see. In fact, we're the best seers we've got around here. And Jesus said, well, it's even worse for you. If you were just blind, you didn't know, like the blind man, then you wouldn't really be guilty. But here you are, you, you are actively saying that I'm from the devil, you, you can't see and you just think that you can see. See, there's a huge spiritual principle here at work. Okay, and it, it makes total sense and yet it's really frustrating in life. You can't see your blind spots. Right, you can't see your blind spots. You don't know what you don't know. And these, these Pharisees, they, they can't see. In fact, sometimes we think we know something. We think we understand something. And exactly because we think we know, we can't see it at all. We're not just blind to it. We are willingly blind to it. And we don't even know it because we think we've got it all together. Right? So, so we don't know what we don't know. We aren't aware. Hey, and then it, it takes a little voice behind us saying, I'm right here for us to understand. Oh, that's what God was doing. Oh, that's what's happening takes a little bit of knowledge for us to understand oh here's what's going on this is true in marriage and family at work and politics uh when we seek justice in this world we all have blind spots we can't see and you don't know where your blind spots are many we've had since birth many we learned we have certain rules like the pharisees that we've added to this world ways of seeing like the disciples where all if something bad happens it's because of this we all have things that we've learned that are not true to what Christ has in this world, and we miss out on them because we're blind to them. And, and it's worse when we think we know, but we really don't. Then we're not even open. We all have sensitivities, priorities, worldviews that we've accepted, we've never really questioned, and we don't even know that they're wrong. And we're in a world right now, we're in a culture right now, where everyone is so, so sure about everything, and we're not willing to listen to anybody else. We have all kinds of emotions and agendas 
And we're, we, we can't even see where we're... We're not even open to where we're wrong, everybody. We're not even open to God showing us anything because we got it together. We know. We have our opinions. And we don't know how blind we really are. We can't see our blind spots. But the purpose of this message is not to say we should all figure out where our blind spots are. Because what's the problem with that? We can't see them. You can't heal yourself from your blind spots. You will never be able to heal yourself from your blindness. You can't get more and more enlightened. That's not the point. If that was the point, then Jesus would say, you are the light of the world. But we are not the light of the world. Who is the light of the world? Jesus is the light of the world, and Jesus heals. Sometimes, like with the Pharisees, he pokes, and he agitates, and he gets us thinking about the things that we should be doing differently. I think that's what he's doing with the Pharisees. He's trying to poke at them and invite them, agitate them to say, hey, believe in me, figure out who I am, see this differently. Sometimes he rubs on our blind spots, puts muds on them. Sometimes he calls on us then, once he puts mud on where we're weak, where we can't see, where we're blind, and then we've got to do the work of going and washing. God says, hey, you're blind to this, you better start working on this. Not that we heal ourselves, but God does call us sometimes to wash our eyes. What it takes from us then is some humility and some openness to God's leading, to where God is going to heal us. Not like the Pharisees, not just saying, oh, we already got it. We got it all together. No, to say the humility to say, God, show me where my blind spots are and I'll wash them. Right? Show me who you are and I'll believe and I will submit. That sort of humility and openness. The answer is not to heal ourselves. We can't see our blind spots, but to trust in Jesus as the light of the world. And then when God shines light on dark spots in our lives to say, okay, we better take care of that. To be open to that light so then we wash our eyes and you have seen him so wash your eyes and may you never see anything the same way again